0: Thank you so much. A beautiful introduction. And uh, it's always so nice when I get up, you know, with a crowd like this, because people aren't sure you're supposed to stand up or applaud, you know. (laughs) You know, like, do you treat him like, you know, like his rabbi or like somebody we really want to listen to? (laughs) Anyway... It is so nice to be back. This is only my second time here, and uh, I want to thank Dvar Ehrlich, who uh, was really the catalyst for getting me here, and of course, you know Osar, which does this all the time, and the fact that on uh, very short notice, uh, so many people are able to come together. I don't know what I have to contribute, but there's no question that the two Pirkei Tehillim are are very, very effective. So if nothing else, that alone was definitely worth worth the entrance price. So, uh, you know, for everybody to be able to come down and uh, I certainly appreciate it. Um, it's serendipitous that it's on Judy's your site. Judy was somebody that I was friendly with when I was an advisor in LA in NCSY. She was an advisor for me in NCSY uh, when I was there when they got married, uh, and, uh, and when uh, she was uh, NIFTA, I gave a program in her in her memory and. Uh, you know that, that time goes through. You know, time goes on is always an absolutely amazing thing. In any event, uh, it's uh, you know should be an aliyah for the neshama, and uh, we uh, we should all all of us in our own way gain from this experience. So let's put a uh, let's put a uh, a perspective. Yeah, um, it's elo already. <laughs> this is, you know, the, the young time are always early or late, and this year it is really ridiculously early. You know, there's no reason that we should have killed all of August by making it L. You know, I think we deserve a summer vacation. You know. <laughs> It turns around and bam, it's the three weeks, you know, and then you go right into, you know, the nine days, you know, which is always difficult, Baruch Hashem, there are some places that have learned how to make it easier. There are certain restaurants that have a see every night, every hour, on the hour. So, you know, it's so nice to see Sukha Satayra being spread, you know. Everybody has a header because, you know, in America, nobody's allowed to sweat. So uh, we have to take a shower. You know, some of us cut it down to only twice a day. But uh, you know, but it's uh, you know, but well, we managed to get through the nine days. It's Arab Tishav, and we make it through Tishav. You know, the the greatest challenge is, of course, you know, morning, your feet falling asleep while you're saying Kiness. You know, and then we go and uh, watch the Chavuz Chaim video, and uh, we make it through. And now, Baruch Hashem, we're able to enjoy ourselves until bam, it's Elul. And Now it's time to do chuva. The summer is about collecting reasons to do chuva, not doing chuva, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and to kill the whole summer on chuva. <laughs> it's uh, amazing. I, this is one of the earliest years that it has ever been. I will put this into perspective for you. For the past four years, the Sivas Tour has uh, used me um, to go off to Europe. Um, I, I say use me as an excuse to go off to Europe because they make tours all the time. But they decided to use me as the scholar-in-residence, which is, of course, you know, comical to anyone who knows me, because I'm not qualified to be a tour guide, and I'm certainly not a Pesach Crone who's going to do 25 hours of research, you know what I mean, and collect the stories, you know, I give my regular shiurim. So I said, why are you putting my picture on the tour? You're bringing in a real tour guide, and you're bringing in another rabbi who's going to be like the resource. They said, because when people see your picture, they say, we're going to have a good time. You know? <laughs> And they do. <laughs> we go to a nice hotel, he flies in a caterer, he bakes his own bread, you know, and we keep the tours kind of mild, you know, and we don't walk too much, lots of time for shopping, lots of time for eating, you gotta keep your priorities. And, uh, and I'm absolutely amazed that when I give shiurim, mean, it's like late at night of a very long day, you know, and they say, speak, I said, who's gonna stay? And every single person stayed, because uh, I guess that, you know, we will all have a good time together, you know. Anyway, so we usually do this Thanksgiving weekend. And, uh, and we were discussing where to go next year, and then one of the participants said, wait a second, Thanksgiving is the first-night Hanukkah. First-night Hanukkah is Thanksgiving? This is the third time in history. So I've been told. I didn't check this out, but, uh, you know, this is what people tell me. Third time in history that, that first-night I said, what are we going to do? He says, we'll go to Greece. <laughs> 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 Keep the holiday spirit going. I don't know. <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, that means this is just ridiculous. And, and the, although, look, what's the best? The best of the year is when Elo comes out on, well, uh, Scottish Elo comes out on September 1st. That's good. every we, The kids start, we go through a whole Elo, every chance to get ready. Now it's like August. And, and if you have not noticed this yet, yeah, it's a three day Rosh Hashanah. Followed by a three-day sukkahs and a three-day Shemit What are you doing here? You should be cooking and freezing. You know? <laughs> this is going to go on forever. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and the, the, the challenge, and that's really the challenge of life. The challenge of life is that opportunities come our way all the time and we can either take advantage of them or not take advantage of them. I, I you know, used to teach in Or one of the great things of teaching in Or Sameach is that I get so much information about the outside world that I never would have gotten, you know? I had one kid in one of my shiurim that whatever I taught in the Gemara tied directly into a Simpsons, and it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> I think there was so much Machias in the Simpsons that year, it was unbelievable, things I didn't even know about, you know? And, uh, So uh, I I had sent over this uh, idea, a similar idea more than once, and someone said, yeah, like Groundhog's Day. And I'm trying to figure out what February 2nd had to do with it, and evidently there was a very popular movie called Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray where this guy has a terrible day, which happens to be Groundhog's Day, and he relives it over and over again for 40 years until it becomes the best day of his life. And and I thought, what a marshal, because that's really what we do. We relive the same day over and over again until we get it right. Then you move on to the next day. And that's, that's all of life. You'll find yourself having the same nisionos over and over again. Your parents do not become more reasonable with time. Neither do your children. <laughs> Neither do your neighbors or your boss or anybody else in your life. The entire world is filled with unreasonable people. Right, reasonable being defined as doing my way, yeah, and the world is filled with unreasonable people in difficult situations, and you're going to keep facing them. There are certain people in this world who exist only to be any scion for us. We know them, you know? <laughs> they stand about a half a millimeter from your face when they talk to you. When you back up, they follow you, you know? <laughs> and it's like, you know, and, you know, and, you know I, and I can handle already the pokers. The pokers I can handle. It's the slappers now that I'm really having trouble with. <laughs> because they slap you. Well, some of these guys work out, you know what I mean? And they're making a point by slapping you, and I walk away black and blue at the end of the encounter, you know? And I really try to avoid them, but they find me. Anyway, so it's a challenge. It's a challenge, you know? So it's an opportunity. Elo is an opportunity. Now, I realize the disadvantage in the sense that I'm speaking to women. And women are notoriously difficult on themselves, much more so than men. We're much more easygoing, you know? I had a friend of mine whose who's, uh, kid went off the dare, but like big time. And of course, he didn't know about it because the parents are always the last to know, because um, everyone wants to protect you. You know, if, I, if you knew earlier, you could do something about it you know. But you know, by the time you find out, it's like really, it's so far gone So I said, how did you handle it? He says, I was really depressed for a day And then I said, okay, this is the situation, I have to deal with it and I said, and your wife? She cries every night Because women aren't that good at compartmentalizing You know, putting things aside Someone sent me an email once that I thought was profound It said, two women can sit Two men can sit and watch a football game for three hours, neither one of them saying a word, and neither one thinks that the other one must be angry with them.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but women can't do that, because if there are two women and they're not turning... <laughs> because women are internal. Right? This is the way a coach of powerful us. Men are external. Women are internal. Women are extremely internal. Right? Um, the the, people can argue what's societal and what's not, but it's clear, right? When it comes to creating uh, a, 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 the future generation, the one thing that will define most what's a man and a woman, the man's contribution is external and the woman's is completely internal. Women are completely inside, you know? I remember when we did Hilches Nida, it was in a Chaburi, you know? When did the woman become a Nida? Not when she sees Dam. When she feels the opening of the Rechem open. Now the Rechem in the non-pregnant state is the size of a walnut. And a woman has the ability to feel that open. Not us today, because we've become much less sensitive, but I mean, a woman is so internal. That's why as a man, I can tell you this, you know, a husband comes home and he's in the middle of a fight that he didn't even know about, you know? Because the woman can start without him. She doesn't even need it. <laughs> and she's sitting there going, <laughs> and the husband comes and goes, how come you? And he's like, whoa, whoa, I don't, I don't even anything you know anything <laughs> happened. So, you know, when it comes to doing chuba and looking at our lives, women are so hard on themselves, they beat them up so much. And, and the result of this is that it's very hard for us to change. Because if you don't cut yourself any slack, you will never be able to change. Yeah? Uh, when I teach... Um, uh, getting up in the morning. I teach of office, you know, and one of the things I, I teach is, you know, getting up in the morning. And what do we do? We say moda'ani, and then we wash the shadayim prayerfully by our bed. That's the ideal. Right right by your bed. Why do we wash the shadayim shaboka? Two reasons. One is similar to moda'ani. We say, Mother Ani, because we were considered dead when we were sleeping. And when we wake up, we come back to life. And we say, thank you for bringing me back to life. And like a new Klee that's just been created, you have to put it in the mikvah. That's what you wash. And the other reason we wash is to remove the tumor of the you know, of the, the death that was inside of us. All tumor comes from death. So I said, there's two reasons when we get up in the morning that tells, that defines how we get out of bed. The first one is that we say, I don't want to be dead, I'm washing off the death. And the other one says, I am a new cle. All there is, is today. Yesterday is a canceled check and tomorrow is a promissory note, all you have is today, spend it. Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, all we have is the, is now. That's why it's called a present, it's a gift. Yeah, and that's all you have. And when I say this, I mean it halacha because in the time of the Rishonim, this fellow was put into prison for not paying debts by a nobleman. And, uh, you know, they, um, they, said, uh, they said I'll give him off one day a year. So he wrote a shayla. I think it was the Ridbaz, but I'm not positive. And he says, when should I take off? Seder night, so I can spend the Seder with my family? You know, Yom Kippur, so I can go to shul? You know, w- w- what's, the, what's the most important day that I should take off? And he said, tomorrow. Because there is no day as important as today. You can't get off today, take off tomorrow. Because the next day, every day, this is a brand new day. Moshe Shapiro said once, we would get up in the morning, Shalom Asani Good, Shalom Asani Shalom Asani is Isha, No, right? Which I've had women being offended by. I say, Shalom Asani No, and I said, don't you understand if a woman makes a bracha, thank you for making me according to your rotson, what does that say about a man? <laughs> <laughs> You know, think about that. But anyway, <laughs> luckily men are too stupid to ask the question, but they thought about it, you know. But anyway, so, Rav Moshe Shafiru has such a beautiful mahalach in it, but I, I want to stay, to stay on topic, which is not easy for me because I have ADD. So, um, which I didn't know when I was a kid. They just said, you know, he's a space cadet. and He doesn't care. And he doesn't work hard. He's very smart. But no, today, if I was a kid today, they'd have me on so many medications, I wouldn't. I would come to school late. I had to take so many. That but uh, and I teach. Because <laughs> so I have a kid with ADD. <laughs> the kid says to me, he goes, Oh, you have ADD, remember? He said, Yeah, me too. He goes, How many kids with ADD does it take to change a light bulb? I said, How many? He says, You want to ride my bike? <laughs> We both look at each other.
1: <laughs>
0: so, in every class, when I teach a class, I have one guy, his job is to see when I go on a tangent so we can find our way back. Because sometimes I go on a tangent of a tangent of a tangent, of a, tangent of a tangent, and then I'm like, where are we? And it must be half the class that because because, like, I don't know. <laughs> and one guy says, You were talking about Ello. Ah, okay, we can work our way back. <laughs> The worst is when I forget the punchline of a story when I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> now, some of that is not because of that. Some of it's just, you know, you reach a certain age. Those of you who are in my age group, where you just forget things. You walk into the kitchen, you don't remember why. You open the refrigerator, you forget why, you know. So someone said to me, well, you know, the first thing to go is your memory. And the second thing is, um... <laughs> <laughs> ah, whatever. But anyway... But, uh... So, so, uh... So a person has to look at life and say, today is a new day. I'm a new clique. you understand? I'm, I'm a new person. So why do you make a bracha? and isha. I made that bracha yesterday. Why? You thought I converted when I was asleep? I have to make another shalom, good So the answer is, because today is a new day. Today is a day, we know there's a Chazal. they dash they it. When it says yom, it means shana. You know? And shana can be a lifetime. And that's why you know for a trait, if an animal can live, you'd chodesh, consider it if it's, it's going to live forever." You know, a year is forever, a day is a year. That's how it goes. Today is the most important day of our life. So, I had a woman say to me once, and it's so apropos, I think we're almost there. A woman says to me, I was really hoping to use this Elul the right way. I really wanted to change. I really wanted to come something. And now it's over. And I've lost it. And it's too late. And I said to her, It's Ches! You've got three weeks left! Nah, it doesn't too late it's too late if you don't start at the beginning and it's not enough time I didn't do it right I already messed it up yeah those of us who wrestle with a weight problem particularly those of us who are often thrown to the mat by the weight problem you know that well we don't do so well at wrestling you know but you all know that if you've been on a diet for a while you know, and you've, and you've been, you know, you've been good, doing what you're supposed to do, you know. My nutritionist said to me, you can't say good, there's no good and bad. You know, I was successful, less successful, nonsense. You were good on your diet, now you're bad. <laughs> That's it. Black and white world that I live in. But anyway, so, uh, so you know, if you break your diet in the middle of the day, for whatever reason it was, I'm sure it was a good reason, maybe it was a social reason, you went to someone's house and they baked a the cake, you don't want to insult them, whatever it is, how much do So uh So... <laughs> So you know, you you go off your diet, you know there are a number of rules. One rule is you cannot start your diet again the same day that you went off. (laughs) Diets can only begin in the morning. This is one rule. If it's two days before Shabbos, you can't start, because it's not COVID Shabbos. You can't go into Shabbos unless you've been dieting at least three days. You can't diet on Sunday, because you have to eat all those leftover kugels that nobody else will eat, because otherwise you throw them away. It's mama's sin. That's what my father always said. Wasting was a sin, you know. So uh, I'm a product of years and years of mitzvahs. That's <laughs> how so I got my type 2 diabetes, by doing mitzvahs. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and you, you slowly it starts to slip away. And people say, okay, so don't, you no, know, you can start now. Whatever it is, start now. Whatever you don't gain back, you didn't lose. That's nonsense. Either I'm on the diet, and I'm doing it right, or I'm off the diet. And by the way, if you've been on the diet for at least three weeks, when you go off, the minute is you have to eat everything that you missed. <laughs> so you, have, like, you, have, you plan it out. First I do all the milkings, then I do all the fleshings. <laughs> i got to circle around, first the ice creams, then the frozen yogurts, and then I work it through. And by the time we're done, how can I start a diet now? Look how much I gained back. Oh, well. I have to wait for the next moment of inspiration. And frankly, most of life starts that way. It's not, it's, it's, I already lost, I already lost. I didn't start at the beginning of LOI. I let it slip away. It's too late. Maybe next year, maybe next year, you know. You're talking to a person who spent most of his life waiting for next year. I was not um, an unbelievably wonderful student, you know. Um, a friend of my wife's told her something that she heard at a sheer. She told it to me. Being a woman, she never integrated the message herself, but I did. I thought it was a wonderful idea. And he says, the goal of parenting is not to raise good kids, it's to raise good adults. And I thought what a brilliant observation. And therefore, what we demand of a kid, which is to do well in school, and this and and you know, most of that will never help them in life become better people. I'm fifty-four years old and I have never needed in my entire life to prove that the base angles of an isosceles triangle are congruent. Although I can prove it three different ways if necessary. I could bisect line AC. I could create AD, use the identity postulate, I can split the angle. You know, I have, I have any number of ways of proving this, and yet no one has asked me to. You know, no one has asked me to describe the respiration of the grasshopper and how the malpighian tubules play an important role. Nor have I ever needed to balance a chemical equation. It's amazing the stuff that we think are so important at the end of the day, the things that are really important, you know, um, uh, you know, people put these little tags at the end of their email, and somebody had a, a tagline that says, you know, at the end of your life, you'll, you won't be saying, I wish I spent more time in the office, you know. But at the time, it's the most important thing, and the kids have to this, and the kids have to, and the kids have to, and the kids have to. And, and, and what do we lose in the process? I have eight girls, It's one of the reasons I travel. <laughs> to give both of us a break. But, uh, you know, the, uh, I stopped talking in my house years ago because I have not been able to say anything right for about 10 years. You know, one of my kids, when she was a teenager, you know, I said, uh, How come you never talk to me? People call me from all around the world to talk to me and ask me advice. People come, make appointments, come and talk to me. How come you never talk to me? She says, About what? <laughs> you're just some old guy <laughs> you know so I stopped talking years ago it doesn't help because I walk into a room and one of my daughters says what I <laughs> said, I didn't say anything I saw you looking <laughs> And now I walk around like this <laughs> you know but you know I have to look at now what am I going to do now there's nothing such thing as regretting regret gets you nowhere yeah um the famous story in the Gemara, which is usually quoted during this time of year or certainly close to Yom Kippur, is the story of Rabbi Ozzabar Dodoi. a very, very sad story. Rabbi Ozzabar Dodoi was addicted to love, if you're old enough to remember that reference. Anyway, and uh, he, um, he would go anywhere if he found a professional woman who was good at her profession, pay any money, travel any... I'm not thinking about a lawyer, by the way, because you don't understand what I'm talking about. Anyway, travel any distance, spend any money to be able to avail himself of her services. And at one point, he's, he's about to begin a particular tryst, and the woman says to him, you are a lost soul and you'll never do tshuva. And for some reason, this made a deeper impression on him than all the Muslim shmoozer may had heard. And he runs outside and he turns to the sun and the moon and the stars and says, Rabbi well, Duchuva, they say no. And he turns to the seas and says, Rabbi well, And they say no. And he turns to the mountains and says, Rabbi well, And they say no. And he turns to the trees and says, Rabbi well, no, no, no. And he sits down and he puts his head down and he cries himself to death. And a voice says, Rebel Azabar Dodoi." He got smicha. Rebel yeah? Azabar Dodayi was Koina Ulam Havam. When Rabbi Yehuda Nasi heard this, he cried. There are people who can be kena olam haba b'shulachas. That's the story in the Gemara. Asim chayis beloveds. Sichus mus. He says, "I understand. It's kineged a befer yishev beinoyina in shari tshuva." And that is that um a person who is. We all know the Rambam says, "How do you do You have to." Admit what you did wrong, and you have to have kharata, You have to be macabre, You have to, you know, go through the steps. He's a person though who is shakua in chet. That means I'm stuck in a particular bad behavior. Should not be working on karata, because charrata is not going to help you change. Charrata is going to make you feel bad about yourself and fail. So what am I supposed to do? Don't work on kharata, Work on a different step called aziva sachet. Work on trying to stop the bad behavior, which in simple language makes a lot of sense. You say to somebody, you know, you stepped on my foot. I'm so sorry, you know, I, I don't know why I do these things, you know. I guess I'm just not paying attention. I feel so terrible. No, no, no. First, get off my foot, okay. <laughs> I don't want to hear how bad you feel. Get off my foot, then you can tell me how bad you feel. But start by stopping the behavior. And a person who's stuck in a bad behavior, now is not the time to, to worry about regret. I have to work on a change. And uh, if you're like most people, karata does not empower you. It makes you feel bad. So, Rebbeinu Yoyinus says that you're supposed to not focus on karata, changing your behavior. Says Rebbeinu Yoyinus says, so Rebbeinu so, did the wrong thing. He should have joined a support group for addictions, my name is Alaza and I am an addict. Hi, Alazah, how are you? you know, I set up a buddy, and he goes through the 10, 10, 12 steps, and, and he'd work on building himself, and changing himself, and all the nifty stuff that goes with that, and slowly become a better person. You don't sit down and cry yourself to death because you're so overwhelmed with karata. He says, that's because Alazah Baradoday wanted to do tshuva now. I, were giving, I was giving a... Um, a class, a vod, a shir I'm not sure what to call it, for married women in uh, Ramana school, uh, One of my former Darachimina mean, alumni, is, alumni uh, set it up. is I don't know what the right term is. Uh, set it up. And um, she, uh, uh, we were going to work on midos. We were going to make a midos kind of a workshop, shir, whatever. So uh, I gave some introductory sheer, And then we got down. So what do you want to work on? What was the one that most people wanted to work on? Savlonis. I said, you'll have to wait till we get to that. (laughs) I saw a bumper sticker. I said, God grant me patience and give it to me now. (laughs) You have no idea. I mean, okay, if you're in my generation, you'll understand what I'm about to say. If you're 20 years younger than me, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I I, I make the reference anyway. I went to learn in Eretzl the first time in 19... (laughs) And... Which, according to my... My reboot biography was about 10 years before I was born, but in any event, <laughs> so uh, I went to Yeshiva, and at the time in Eretz Bezek had a five-year waiting list to put in a phone, and phones were hardwired into the wall. There were no cell phones, there were walkie-talkies if you could join the police or the army to get a walkie-talkie, but that was about it, you know? The phone went into the wall, and you had to wait five years to get one. And if you wanted to call America? It was about sixty dollars a minute, you know, because they didn't have any satellites to, you know, break it off of. They gave it to a, you know, a, an old man who put it in a call and he carried it over, you know, to the airport and put it, whatever it was. You know, it took forever. So what you did is you wrote letters if you had a lot of money. If you were a cheap kid like me and like most of my friends, you wrote aerograms, which were tissue paper. That you could fold up with, of course, almost nothing. And you wrote all the way down to you on the glue, you know. So when you opened it up, careful that it got ripped up, you know. Look what you did. It took two weeks to get there, and two weeks to get back, and that was it. And they answered questions that you asked a month ago, and you have know, no idea what you even said. <laughs> you know. And this kept a good relationship between parents and kids, by the way. It also had the wonderful experience that you could go and have a year in Eretz Trel, which a kid does not have today. Because now, every kid has email and texting, and their parents are texting them throughout the day. You know? they have this thing called instant messaging. And if you don't answer me, like, right away, then I never have to respond to you in capital letters, which is about as rude as you can possibly imagine. Why won't you answer me? Why don't you love me? (laughs) So you have to be constantly back and forth. I want to tell you this is just, like, you know, one of those rants that rabbis do, but there was the same week that the Gedolom in America, same month, that the Gedolom in America uh, in show came out against, you know... uh, you know, phones and texting and all this kind of stuff and they put in the kosher phones. The cover article in Psychology Today magazine was about how kids today don't grow up and they say one of the main reasons is cell phones. Because kids never learn how to detach and how to be able to go on and develop into people because they're constantly calling. And they brought one story of this college student who's walking down the campus and this professor over here is saying to her mother, could you believe they only had vanilla? And there wasn't any chocolate, you know? (laughs) It's like, okay, there should be a time in your life when you learn how to deal with that on your own, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but it stops people from ever growing up. People never learn how to be able to handle things, you know? We need instantaneous. So people want to change instantaneously. It's not going to work. So um, women are pragmatic. This is another thing. Men have no problem being theoretical and being up in the air. Women tend to be more pragmatic. Everyone who teaches a halakha class knows this. Yeah, um, I, I bring one example uh, without going into too many uh, details, but it was uh, it's an unbelievable thing. Um, there is, I was I was in, in a Chabur, I was learning with a Chabrusa, and we came to the din of a Masla. That means, when does a woman become a niddah halachically? When she tells her husband, I'm a niddah." that's it, she's a niddah, and, and she can't say afterwards, I was joking. She said afterwards, I was joking, it doesn't make a difference. She has to wait five days, and then seven days, and then go to the mikveh, and that's it. So, you know, not everything's funny. Anyway, so, but what if i have been a master? I said so, it was an excuse. And they start discussing it. There's a machlogis, ramah, and taz in the following case. A woman thought that she kept miscarrying because she had a neighbor who was giving her an ayin hara. And the neighbor knew when she was uh, pregnant because when you were a nidah, you wore your nida clothes. That was like your old worn-out clothes, and otherwise you wore your nice new clothes. So she saw she wasn't changing her clothes every month. So she was afraid she was getting an ayin hara. So she wanted to know if every two weeks she could put on her nidah clothes, and if so, did that give her a din of a nida? So both the Ramon say, and Taz say no for two completely different reasons, and they bring a lot of proofs one way or the other. One says it's not because um, you didn't say anything, and the other one said it's not because the husband knows about it. The Naft can, NAF can be the being, what if I say something and my husband knows about it, and I said it for whatever reason, yeah? Would that be okay? So that's not like, it's a very involved and complicated piece, but it's, it's very lumbish. If you like that kind of stuff, it's a lot of fun, you know? Anyway, my friend Risa comes back the next day and he says, "I, I was telling it over to my wife because I enjoyed it so much," and she said to me, "What happened?" <laughs> now, is it, so some of the women in this room already understand. You know, I, I had no idea what he was talking about. What, what do you mean, what happened? Did she have the baby or not? <laughs> now, I guess when you think about it, that probably is the most important part of the story. But no guy will ask that because who cares? <laughs> I don't know if they still have lemans. They still do Lamas? Oh, boy, shit. I went for Lamas preparation when my wife was expecting our first child in 1982. And, um, and uh, I still do the breathing better than my wife. It's a, little, it's a little embarrassing for my wife, because women come and ask me to teach them the breathing, because they do it better than my wife. Anyway... But to kind of horror, I made it through 11 pregnancies and only once did I need medication. But um, <laughs> otherwise i have been drug free through all the things. But anyway, so, uh, so they said something which I find to be so simple as a man that, that women you know, just don't get. You know, Lamaz is, is so contrary to the way uh, the world is supposed to be. You know, Because what you do is you take a woman and you want her to experience all the pain of childbirth. Because she might do something not to feel the pain. And gosh, that wouldn't be any fun we want you to feel all the pain. So we put you in there, and then we decided to make your husband the coach. So his job is to stand there and say you're not in pain. Yeah. Shortly after Lamaze was introduced, the divorce rate went up over 50%, for reasons that I think are pretty obvious. Because if I was in surgery, and my wife was trying to convince the anesthesiologist not to give me anything, don't worry, I'll breathe him through it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'd get rid of her too. (laughs) So, uh, men are only really capable of standing outside and pacing. That's how Hashem made us. We really don't know how to handle these situations, you know? That's the old story they tell about this guy. His wife was in a 15-hour labor, and he's outside pacing and pacing, and every half hour he says, any news? Not yet, you know. And finally, after 15 hours, they say, congratulations, you had a baby girl. He says, Baruch Hashem. She'll never have to go through what I just went through. <laughs> That's about all man can handle. So, so one of the things they do, they explain to us in Lamaz, is that when a woman is in, pregnancy, you know, is in childbirth, which uh, Carol Burnett describes, if you want to understand what childbirth is, take your lower lip and pull it over your head. But, um, <laughs> but in any event, um, the uh, when the woman's in childbirth, though so it's it's very painful. So in order to make it worse, we hook belts onto her because <laughs> it's not painful enough. So we want to see if we can like really mature her, you know, what I mean? really you know, So one of the things this does is measure the contractions. So <laughs> like they said the husband. Will watch the screen instead of his wife. Because <laughs> you put a screen in front of a man, it doesn't matter what's on it, don't watch that instead. <laughs> so he's like, "Well, there's a big contraction. He goes, I know. Look, it's peaking. I know. Whoa, look at the size of the You know, so it's, it's something that's happening out there, you know? So um, So I want to get practical, because at the end of the day, theory takes us only so far, you know? isn't that ultimately why we're here <laughs> anyway gosh I'm not making really make a bracha in a main group you know <laughs> mm. see that's an uncomfortable feeling with me you know, are you supposed to applaud do you laugh <laughs> I spoke once in a face and you can see the girls were like this the whole time and they kept looking at the principal are we allowed to laugh what are we I don't want to get into trouble, you
1: know,
0: was like uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So I wanna I wanna to try to to get pragmatic. Um, it's interesting that a student asked me once, what are we supposed to be doing during the three weeks? And the standard answer is, of course, doing chuva. And during the nine days, they're doing chuva. And El doing chuva. Says my hey, chuva, doing chuva. S'faru um, z'aymar, working on ourselves. How? By doing tshuva. You know. Um, how about those who keep shulbim during tshuva? Everything is tshuva. <laughs> There's got to be something that's a little different about each time. Obviously, it can't just be do tshuva, do tshuva. There's got to be something about it that's different. Otherwise, you don't need so many different times. It must be something a little bit more specific. So let's start at the beginning. Elul. What is the ickar avoda of Elul? And this, by the way, is such a tremendous problem. When I learned in yeshivas, the mashkichim never said elu. It was elu. Hallel, and there was flames coming up on either side, and the books of life and death are being opened, and where you're going to be written. (laughs) If you want to become a Mashiach, you have to master that laugh. That's the most important thing. Slightly sarcastic in the river, the (laughs) rising, and you're going to be where. (laughs) You think Hashem should give you a? (laughs) You know, (sighs) never. And it's true. It's true. That's that's definitely the way a lot of things are presented. I had a rebbe. I was falling out of things in one winter's mind, you know, and he wanted to get me you do it. You know. And uh, he says, Dove get back into things. I said, Rebbe, what's the point? I'm just gonna go to Gehenna anyway. He said, That's true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he
0: saw I was di I was a little down, he wanted to show me up, so he says, Focus on the following. At three hundred and fifty degrees you bake, but at four hundred you burn. Oh. Huh. I felt so much better after that. Then <laughs> I mean, if I davened three times a day and I learned 12 hours a day and I did all the mitzvahs I didn't do any of the at the end they would just bake. <laughs> so so what's the Iker voda available? The Iker voda. Voda, Yitzchak Isaac Sher, Hashim of says the following, Lekat Musa. If you're going to buy one book on Musa or one book on the Parashah, I recommend Lekat Musa by Rav Yitzchak Isaac Sher HaKylek Aleph. If you want to buy a second one, I recommend with, uh, Yitzhak, y- uh, with Yitzhak Isaac Share, Lekasi Musa, Khalik Bays. And uh, he took the Yom Tovim, is on the Parashios. There's not one idea that I have ever seen from him that did not have immediate relevance in my life. I went to speak someplace and and somebody said to me, You know, I enjoy all your talks, and they're all very nice, but the best thing you ever did for me was get me onto a Isaac share. So Lekasi Khazmusa. It's uh, it's unbelievable. So he says, the Iker avoda of Elul, the Beis Yosef says, what is Elul? Reshe Tevos. Hanila Dodi We've heard this. But that's the Iker avoda of Elul. Hanila Dodi Vodidi Li. Hashem loves me. Ask the average from person, do you think Hashem loves you? They're not sure what they're supposed to say. If they say no, they're afraid they'll get into trouble. So they're like, mm mm-hmm. I said, okay, let me rephrase it. Do you think Hashem is disappointed in you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, sure he is. I could be better. Can I really say I dab in the way I'm supposed to? Can I really say I do mitzvahs the way I'm supposed to? Can I really say I never did anything wrong? Sure, Hashem is disappointed in me. That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a big frowning face in the sky, saying, what a waste of a life. And I've been told by more than one from person, I feel like a Kudosh Baruch Hu doesn't care whether I'm in this world or not. I said, make no mistake about it. He's got no shortage of ways of getting rid of you. And if you're here, it's because he believes there's something you can do that nobody else can do. He believes in you and he wants you here. You have something to do in this world. And a Kudosh Baruch Hu loves you and is rooting for you and wants to see you succeed. A Baruch Hu gets such bad press. He, when you think of those great Tzaddik stories, the Chavetz Chaim all these really sweet nice stories, that's only because they're a shadow of 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 a, shadow of a is rooting for you every step of the way, he wants to see you succeed, he doesn't want to see you waste your life you have so many opportunities to do great things, I had a woman, she was a Rosh Kola wife of a Rosh Kola And she says to me, I feel like a Kiddush Baruch who sets me up for test after test, pushes me and pushes me, and waits for me to fall. And then laughs at me. Yikes. Now I can tell it's not true, but I made that mistake the first time I taught in a seminary. Um, A girl said something, and I said, that's wrong. She said, how could you say that to me? You just invalidated me. Now you can't invalidate guys, because they don't have any feelings. There's nothing to invalidate. (laughs) So I wasn't accustomed to this phrase just invalidated me. I said, what are you, a parking meter? I'll put in a quarter, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, you can imagine, I lost the crowd at that point, you know what I mean? Forget it, you know? So, uh, so I can tell it's not true. It's not true. She doesn't laugh at you. It doesn't help. This is how she feels. You have to always speak to people where they're coming from. So I said, you know what? Kind of I have a whole bunch of kids and they all know how to walk. You know how they all know how to walk? You take them by their hand to look and you walk with them. At one point you stop and you back off and you say, come on, walk to Abba. And the kid says, Okay, what's the deal? He knows I can't walk, you know? <laughs> no, no, you can do it. So right. I trust these people. It takes one step, it takes two steps, and he falls. What do the parents do?
1: Yay!
0: says, <laughs> These people are sick.
1: <laughs>
0: they sit me up for a fall, they wait until I fall, and then they laugh and cheer. But of we're laughing and cheering that they fell, we're laughing and cheering that they took two steps. They'll take five steps, they'll take ten steps, they'll learn how to walk, and how to run, and how to play. We're rooting for them. We want to see them succeed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when you, when you think he, you fall down, you hear him laughing, he's cheering. He sees that you've taken another step. That's all HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to see. He wants to see that we care. He wants to see that, that, that we're taking a step towards him. The distance between the best person in the world and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite. The distance between the worst person in the world and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite. The only difference is where you're facing. You know? And Balatanya was at Chosentish. And, uh, you know, the, the guys, who, the, the badchins who used to do the jokes, at the Chosentish, they'd give fiery mussa first. Depress everybody, then cheer them up. It was an occupational, you know, a technique. But anyway, he's going around giving fiery mussa to everyone. So he gets to the Balatanya, he stops. He goes from the other side. You know that? he stops. Balatanya said, you left me out. He said, I, I have a rule. You don't mess with anyone who can turn you into a frog. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm not messing with you. He says, i give you a shush. Don't worry, nothing will happen. He so, okay, you're the great Balatanya. Nobody in this room can hold a candle to you. But you compared to Akash Barucho and me compared to Akash Barucho, is there really that much of a difference between us? The difference is where you're taking the step towards, towards or away. That's the, that's the difference. A Kodesh who loves you and believes in you and wants to see you succeed. Do you understand why that's the Iker Vodav eloh? Because how are you supposed to go into Rosh Hashanah before the King of Kings, the ultimate judge, who's Bochei Levavois, and looks into every heart, every thought, Yodayim Yeah? And he knows everything that you're thinking. You can't bluff him. You can't fool him. He knows everything that you've done. You're going to go into judgment and you think he doesn't like you? Shoot me now. What are we wasting time with a trial for? I know what I've done wrong. Uh, what do I got to hold for it as a defense? But if you know that person loves you, it's the person who loves you who can judge you. Not the people who don't love you. And the person who really loves you is the one who can tell you the things you need to hear. Because who loves you and is rooting for you and wants to see you succeed. This idea requires more time, but I'll just throw it out. And that is... Do you understand the fact that there's a yom hadin means that a kohen has already had a pre-trial hearing where he decided that you're competent to stand trial? That means he believes in you. That I can judge you because otherwise, what's the point of a trial? You don't judge a little child. Someone said to me, "Even though I don't do you, Hashem will forgive me, right?" I said, "Sure. If you can convince him you're an infant, and for you that shouldn't be too hard because you don't want to take responsibility for anything." And that's the relationship you have with the Kurdish Baruch Hu, infantile. But if you want to have an adult relationship with the Kurdish Baruch Hu, then you have to be prepared to take responsibility. I love you, you love me, we have to work on this relationship and become better people. I apologize to all the Barney people who thought I was <laughs> going to go into that, but I wasn't. Anyway. But uh, you can see people starting to sing along. I but uh, that's it. And I have to tell you, it's, it's like most things, easier said than done. When I teach in seminar, I always say, you know, my hardest job is undoing the education you've received till now. Because people look at a Kodesh Baruch as this fiery face, this angry face, going to burn me in Gehenna, going to go and punish me, you know. Gehenna, there's no fire. You can't burn uh, 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 Neshama. Your body stays here. Save up your money and invest in serogenics if you're worried. They'll put you around in aluminum foil and freeze you in the freezer, no problem. Nothing's going to get burned. Nah, Gehenim's not that easy. Gehenim's a lot worse. They show a film of your entire life. Everything. Everything you've ever done. And everyone's watching. Your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, great great grandparents, have music in Yaakov, Moshe Aaron, Shlomo, you know, the Chavitayim, the Shlomo Zalman, or you know, Everyone's watching your life. What's he doing on what, what's she doing on the screen over there with, with the cards? It's called solitaire. This goes on for a while. Eventually, she <laughs> graduates to mind You know I you know, stick around. I've seen this a lot. You know, don't worry about it. You know, so, okay. And we're sitting there thinking, gosh, you know, what, what I could have done with my life better. You know, when you're all done, then they show a second DVD. It's what your life could have been. That's Gehenna, because you have to. It's it's basically really tough therapy. You know. You have to come to grips with the fact of the life you led versus the life you could have led. You know? Think of the nice ladies who did not have a more pressing engagement this afternoon and decided to do something else rather than come and sit here and listen to a she'er to try to be inspired for the young on the right. And they look at the two DVDs, and in one they're out doing whatever, and the other one they're sitting in this room. You know, th- n- no, no question for everybody sitting in this room, this is gonna be in both DVDs, you know what I mean? <laughs> this, is a two, this is a two DVD set, you know what I mean? You're gonna see the same scene. It's not easy getting out and coming to a shir, it's not. And people who've made that, that choice, you know, with relatively short notice, to be able to come out and to be inspired, that, you have no idea what this is worth in the cosmic sense when you're walking into the Yom Naraim because what you're saying is I'm looking for meaning and I want to prepare myself there is nothing that's more valuable than this you know so uh, so okay I have to change my mindset Hashem loves me He's rooting for me He wants to see me succeed yeah so now what do I do okay assuming I can do this and it's not easy I really have to change my perspective you know my Jewish education, you know, it was, was partial that the kodesh Baruch Hu was going to burn me in Gehenna, and, I, and he's disappointed in me, he's angry at me, and he's all upset, you know. And at one point, I stopped, and I looked at the kodesh Baruch Hu and I said, why would you want to burn me in Gehenna? I'm like, you know, okay, I'm not perfect, but you know that already, you didn't make me perfect. You know, of course I fall short, everybody falls short, I mean, gosh, you know what, are you vindictive, you know? And I engaged in the dialogue, and then slowly I found that this is what the Chazal tell us over and over and over again. A Baruch Hu loves you, and a Baruch who roots for you, and a Baruch Hu wants to see you succeed. How does Moshe Rabbeinu become the Manhig? Because he chased this little sheep who ran away, and when he finally caught up to him, he says, You, bandit, what did you run away for? You know what I mean? Slap him around a couple of times and drag him back, you know, by his hind legs. You know, you run off, you made me chase him all the way. He says, I didn't realize you were thirsty. Now you must be tired from running. Let me carry you back on my shoulders. That's who Kurish Baruch Hu wants to lead us because he understands how Kodesh Baruch Hu wants to lead us. Because he loves us and he roots for us. He knows our failings. He knows our shortcomings. All he wants to see is for us to succeed. So that's the hardest part. So now what do we do? It's a four-step program that we saw Salanta gave. And uh, I want to go over the four steps now. Uh, they, they probably deserve more time than we have, but it's something practical, because at the end of the day, we need tools. We need tools. Step number one, write down who you want to be at the end of your life. Now, you have to understand what this means. Okay? The retirement age is 65. That made sense when life expectancy was 70. You had five years to play golf, and then you died. That was it. That was fine. But now, if you're in my age group, you know somebody in their 70s was old. And somebody in their 80s, when you met them, and they were very rare, were ancient. Today you see people in their 80s all the time they are doing stuff, they're running around, they're, they're active. And you meet a lot of people in their 90s. You know? That means, the people in this room are going to live to 100. I'm not thinking about with any miracles or nisan. I'm thinking about People are going to live to 100. And you retire them at 65? You have to play golf for 35 years? You know what I mean? You know? That's not even a problem, because most people don't even plan out their life to 65. They plan out their life to about 40. And after that, we go into cruise control, because everything's basically in place, and we just keep going. You know? Who do you want to be at the end of your life? Who do you want to be at the age of 100? Think about that. And this is an opportunity to dream dreams. Now, most of us don't have any dreams left. Yeah, a few girls here just came back from seminary they still have their dreams it'll be gone in a couple of years, but because they come back and they come back from seminary and they're all excited and they meet girls who came back from seminary a few years ago and they give them that patronizing smile yeah I remember when I came back from Israel I also said I was going to this and this and this don't worry, give yourself a little time and you'll be like everybody else and most of the time they're right I, I I was a child of the '60s. There was a song called "Father and Son." Someone told me they remade it, but the last line of the father's first verse used to drive us crazy. Yeah. If you want to, you can marry. You will still be here tomorrow, but your dreams may not. And the kid says, "How can I try to explain?" <laughs> You're going to strip me of my dreams? Yeah, I'm going to strip you of your dreams, basically. <laughs> That's basically it, you know. Because, uh, you know, I, uh, I have to uh, live in the real world, be practical. Girls say to me, don't you understand? I come from a firm family. My father comes home from work and he learns two, three hours a night, you know, and he gets up early to learn, you know. And uh, my brother's learning cuddle my sisters, my guys are learning. And if I come home and I say, Mommy, Tati, every decision that I make in life is going to be based on what's best for my Avodos Hashem, they will lock me up. Because what are you, crazy? He <laughs> says, what do I do? I said, just tell them that it's a school for Parnoso. And then you can do anything. <laughs> you can even daven and, and be from anything if you think it'll make some money, you know? I said, if that doesn't work, tell them it's a school for Shidduchim because there's a shit of crisis out there and they'll let you do anything you want, you know what I mean? Say nishmas 40 times, you know what I mean? Say shirashirim 12 times, you know, or, you know, I don't know, dress more or whatever will work, you know, I'll do anything, you know, to get a shit of. you know, anything to make a few dollars, you know, but, but just a voters, bodice- Hashem? And our dreams get stripped away from us. We all had dreams. There was a point in our life when we all had dreams, we all had aspirations. Who am I going to be? What am I going to do in this world? And then bit by bit, those dreams slip away. Write down all of your dreams. Dream dreams. I'm going to, at the end of my life, I don't care if it sounds crazy. Yeah, I'm going to be like, you know, they're going to write a book about me like Robinson Koniefsky. You read that article book? That's going to be me next. You know? Susie Shapiro, right there. There I am. You know? The, the representative from, uh, you know, whatever. And I, I'm going to change the world and give out breakfast and do great things. A lot of people in the room they feel silly even thinking that. Well, gosh, if you don't dream any dreams, how are you ever going to accomplish anything? So I bump a sticker once. I said, "Aim low and exceed your expectations." <laughs> yeah. And I say, "Dream high, and if you don't hit them, so you'll only be mildly great instead of great. You know? I never right really reached absolute greatness. I live my life with a constant angst, because opportunities come my way. And, uh, you know, I get offered a position here, a position there, and I go and ask you, Torah. And my wife always knows that if I, if I come back and they tell me we got to go, then that's it, we're packing up and go. There was one time I was offered a job and I didn't really want to go, you know, and I said to my relationship my Shapiro, I said, I don't want to go. This says, Doug, we don't go where we want, we go where we're needed. And if that's what you're supposed to do, then that's what you'll do. And I like to believe that I have the integrity to do whatever God wants me <laughs> in this world, as opposed to what's comfortable. So you don't have to make any hard decisions now. Just write them down. (laughs) Just dream the dreams. You don't have to fulfill them. Just look at that. And put that picture up on your wall, so to speak. Have that written. This is who I want to be at the end of my life. Step number two, and this is where most people fail, take on a small Kabbalah for the coming year. And I stress this is where people fail. Because if you stop to think about it, every year you write down Kabbalahs. And every year you write down the same ones. <laughs> why? Because you fail year after year, that's why. So I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And the reason you fail is because there are three things in your life if you stop to think about it. Things that I could change with, with ease. With ease, without any effort. Things I could change with effort. And things that I can't change now. The derech I can't. And whenever we take Kabbalah, we always take it from the third category. Things that we know we can't do. And then we throw ourselves against the brick wall over and over again until bloody and bruised we fall down on the ground and say, See, I told you I can't change. Of course, because you took totally unrealistic expectations. Your Kabbalah or Kabbalist, not more than three, for this coming year should only be from Category 1, easy. Now, I don't know what everybody's holding in life, but what do I mean by easy? Yeah? Put it stuck a stuck box next to your bag. And every day, you put in a coin. I don't care if it's a penny or a nickel or a dime. And every day, I did the mitzvah of tzedakah. Are you one of those people who just can't get through Kriya Shema You just can't? You know? And I know people every year, they take on... Some people, it's very easy. And some people, they look at that four-page card and they say, I just can't get through this. You know? Don't. Say the first parasha of Shema. That's it. Yeah? I have women who tell me I can't dive in the morning. I can't. I am not have any time... I said, you don't have five minutes, in your morning to say Shmuel Asraf. what's that? You have to say Baruch Hashem, Pesukim, and you have to say Beres Kriyishvan, you have to say Kriyishvan, you have to say Shmuel Asraf, and you have to say the Tehillim at the end. You know what I mean? That's 45 minutes. I don't have that much time. So take five minutes. Take Rishvan. Take Shmuel Asraf. No, I can't. Is that something small? Here's, here's how you should do it. When on your little list, you write down your three Kabbalas, you should look at them and say, "That's silly, right? That's silly." Now I might actually do it. You understand? I might do it, and I might succeed, and I might actually change, and then I'll be able to break a cycle that's been incorporated for years that I can't change. There are people who speak Washington Hara, and we know who they are. <laughs> I'm prepared to name names. <laughs> <laughs> and they want to stop, they want to stop. That's already in my drink, they want to stop, you know? So, so okay, so I can't stop speaking so I've tried it, it doesn't work, yeah? Take on two hours a uh, day. From three to five in the morning. <laughs> I said that once the teenagers, and they were like, that's prime time. <laughs> okay, so let's take it whatever you want, eight to nine in the morning, you know? And I've seen people do this, and I have only the greatest respect for them. <laughs> I said, Oh, i got such a story to tell you, but I'm doing my mishma. I'll call you three. <laughs> That's great. Understand? That for one minute, I shut my mouth. That's all I gotta do. That was enough of a schutz to create the entire universe. Because the entire universe was created for one mitzvah, and it was a low say. Don't eat from the tree. That was it. And that was enough to create the whole universe. One time I shut my mouth, the entire universe exists on that. Even though I speak with a thousand times. Remember what Rashi tells us, yeah? Uh, you get punished to the third or fourth generation. But everything good you do, you know, it's alofim, $2,000. Why? Because everything good is 500 times something bad. That means every time you shut your mouth, you're entitled to speak about an hour 499 times. And you still <laughs> came out ahead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Forget about it. So take an hour. Take an hour. You want to take two hours? It would be really rough to two hours. You know what I mean? But take on something that you look at and say, ah, this is nothing good. Rav pretty religious man. What was his Kabbalah one year he told people? That I'm going to bench from a bencher on Shabbos. That's it. That was his Kabbalah. You know? I don't have to be smart than the rabbi. You know what I mean? You know? That's it. I just need something small for this coming year. Because you'll succeed. And you'll find that success is addictive. Because people like succeeding much more than they like failing. Number three. Take on something slightly harder, maybe Category 2, for the Eser Svei Tshuva. It says in Shofonarach, people wouldn't eat Pas Akum during the Svei Tshuva. What are we, pulling a fast one on? a Kaj Baruch? Well, he doesn't know we're going to start afterwards. People get up extra early for Slichas. Come on, you don't know I'm going back to my regular minion afterwards? You know? You're going to a Simcha. For a man, it means he changes his hat. Maybe his shoes. Yeah, for a woman, a team of crack professionals have to come in. They sew her into a dress. Someone does the hair. Someone does the nails. Someone does the makeup. You know, they can't exhale. You know, and then they walk in because the photographer has to take that picture with the rose. You got the shot, okay? No, that's it. You go home. They cut you out of the dress. You take off all the makeup. The next. You know, next morning you're you know, wearing your ratty robe, you got your, you know, snoot pulled over your head, you're like one of the seven dwarfs, you know what I mean? You know, you've got fuzzy slippers in the shape of an animal, you know, you've got a mug, you're slumping over and walking around like this. And you pass by the picture on the
1: mantle. And you look at it
0: and you see the disconnect, you know? And you say, I can't believe I ever looked that good. And the answer is, you always look that good. You just don't take the time to put yourself together every day. And that's what that picture does for us. So Sarah Sveik Shuvah says, I'm going to spend the first week of the year living it a little better. I'm not ready to do it yet. But when push comes to shove, I can, because I'm a better person than I realize. Not than the Kodesh Baruch Hu realizes. He knows that. But you have to remind yourself, I'm capable of a lot more. I may not be there yet, but I can do it. <laughs> Point number four he says is, A ha is a is a quill. What we call today a pen, yeah? Knelecha Write it down. And I know this sounds almost silly, but I have had years where I sat down uh, during the week before Shoshana with a pen and paper, and I wrote out who I want to be at the end of my life. I wrote down my kabbalas, and I wrote down the one thing I would do for myself, my Chuva, and I put it in my closet. And I would look at it from time to time throughout the year, and it made such a difference than when I did it in my head. Now you got steps. Now you have something practical, yeah? You know, I don't have to to just walk away and say, yeah, but what do I do? Now you know what to do. I gave you a practical thing. We have to change the way we look at a Kurdish Baruchal. We have to sit down at some point and write down these three things, and we will accomplish them, and we will change, and every year we will become slightly better. But God, grant me patience now, you know? This could take me 20 years. What, you're going somewhere? You got something to do? So it'll take you 20 years to become perfect. No? What are you worried about? You start off in taking little steps and little steps and little steps. I will borrow from literature that I read in the sixties that I recall. Bilbo says to Frodo, Be careful when you step out of your front step, because the same road that takes you through the shire will lead you to the lonely mountain. How true. And those little tiny cabolas that you take will lead you to the point where they start writing your biography at the end that they're gonna put on the shelf next to Robert Kaniaski. You understand? But you've got to start it with one step. Because every journey starts with one step. And in Mitzah Hashem, in the koyach of these steps, of these things, will be it to
1: an emasach of